Cooking with Chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. A podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chang. So here we go, episode three of our podcast. It feels like we're dinosaurs in the industry already, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure being too productive is a good thing, actually. People get overloaded. Well, that's the thing why we decided actually to cut down the length of our podcast to 45 minutes. Well, something between 40 and 50 minutes depends on the editing, depends on the subject sometimes. But mm. uh, we try to edit it down because as beautifully you put it, otherwise we challenge the loyalty of our audience. <laughs> and... Yes, we don't want to challenge them too much, right? No. Uh, in the very fast times we're living in, it's a, a good idea to cut it down. Anyway, uh, today's uh, subject is actually, we agreed on that it's time to talk about um, the narrative that has been going around and spread to the world by authoritarian systems that their political system is much more efficient especially now in times of crisis. They want to make us believe that autocracies have the better means to fight crisis. And um, before we turn to China, because China is the country where what we mostly actually uh, relate to dictatorships today, because China is such an important and uh, strong player in the world right now. I want to know if you heard about Hungary the other day, what happened there? Just a few yeah, days ago. Yeah, I just heard a little that the president right now is getting all the power in his hands using the opportunity of coronavirus pandemic. I think so too. He put up an emergency act. Now Viktor Orban can rule Hungary by decree for the time mm. being. Basically, the democracy in Hungary, a democracy is a state of the Un European Union, we shouldn't forget that, mm. is, under, is under his sole command. The only player who can actually object to his decisions is the constitutional court. But guess what? The constitutional court is filled up with loyalists of uh, Viktor Orban. Mm -hmm. uh, no surprise. Another, no surprise, right. What also, um, the journalists have been warned that uh, it's, uh, or reminded that it is uh, handled as a crime if you distort facts in the media, in publications. So, and mm. guess what? Who decides what is facts in a system that uh, turns to incline <laughs> to be authoritarian? It's not the parliament. It is, it is the, the, the government. And in this case, Viktor Orban itself. And yep. you know what? When I read this news, my very first response, my inner guts were like, I really was the first time in my life I felt concerned. You know, although I used to live for quite a while in China and I'm thinking about dictatorships for so many years now or thinking it back and forth, I always felt like we're still in a pretty stable environment mm. to resist all these kinds of tendencies. But now I, I really feel like concerned because it's, it's much closer than we, than we ever expected. Yeah. Do you remember the movie The Wave? Directed by yes. Dennis Gunsel, German director. I, I interviewed him and he showed it in Beijing. Oh. And then he later he told me that uh, his mother was a psychiatrist. And he basically come up with this story by himself and wrote a script. 
and directed this film that tells yeah about how a city、um, in a democratic society can fall into chaos and go into dictatorship in five days' time, which actually is completely possible. The movie was shown in Beijing or in China? Yeah, at that time, <laughs> it was good old times. <laughs> good old times. Well, wow. Yes. Yeah. Well, he basically conveyed the German experience because. You know, every German's nightmare is, except extreme right wingers, probably every German's nightmare is that Germany fall back to the Nazi time in unfortunate circumstances. And so he, of course, growing up in the post Cold War education, would delve into this all the time. He was very obsessed also with psychology, how human psychology works in this extreme situation, or just by random possibilities, whether anyone with such an intention would turn democracy into dictatorship easily. In what circumstances would that happen? So he he came up with this script. I don't remember specific circumstances when he came up with the idea. The wonderful story. Now that you that you mention the psychological effect, what what happens right now is that we are encountered with a narrative from states, especially like China, that wants to tell us that autocracies are more efficient than、mm-hmm. democratic systems. You, as born in China citizen.、Mm. How do you think about that idea that a dictatorship is more efficient than a democracy? You lived in both, and you encountered, especially the dictatorship, very much closer than I ever could because I was living as a foreigner in China. I think, on the surface, it certainly appeared to be true, right? Because when you move from Beijing to Berlin, everything is so slow here. <laughs> you want to install ceiling lamp. You have to make. Appointment in advance, like two weeks in advance, to have someone installing it for you, and you want to make an appointment in the government for certain documents. You have to wait for a month or three months, even for important documents like passport or whatever it is. In Beijing, you can just go there. Sometimes you get, for example, the special pass to Hong Kong and Taiwan. You get it in a week. You get the appointment by just queuing up there. You don't even need an appointment. You have China building a bridge in the city in Beijing overnight, and here we have Berlin New Airport still lying there as an expensive rubbish for how long now? I don't even know. I forgot. I lost track、yeah. of years. Nearly ten yeah, years, I think. Yeah. yeah. On the on the surface, of course, there are quite some of these differences. And there are some truths in it, but deep down, if you see the efficiency, it somehow the efficiency gets stuck somewhere. For example, the political reform. We've been talking about political reform in China forever, ever since I was a child. In nineteen eighties, people were talking about political reform, making it more democratic. That was the talk at that time. Yet, when you look closer, you find out that actually still it is. Rather old-fashioned and going backwards in the past ten years, even corruption appear in different ways. The social mobility, which means people from lower social class rising to the to the middle class or top of the social class, is becoming stagnant. 
So people from countryside, for example, in Peking University, used to have a high percentage of students from the countryside, the poor villages, probably ten to twenty percent twenty years ago. Now you can see maybe just a few, or maybe none. This is one thing, and the also decision making process has become much more top down than bottom up. There are other inefficiencies, for example, quality of food, food safety, product safety. All these things you don't see much progress. Every year you hear these scandals about this and that food on large scale. Ever since two thousand and eight, when we had this poison melamine, melamine yeah, milk powder, yeah. Putting plastic into milk to feed babies. Ever since then, food issue has never really improved much. This is a very good example, actually. The 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 reform of the of the S SOEs, the the milk scandal, the melamine scandal was also related to.、Uh, and the focus was the. Uh, was a state-owned company、yeah. back then, and if you see the the processes going on in the reforms in the SOE, state-owned enterprises, if you see the behemoth state-owned enterprises, you see how big their impact is on policy making, on decision taking in China. Generally,、mm. I mean, authoritarian system depends on a lot of interest groups. How that works, this kind of structure is a bit similar to democratic systems, I think. You know, because in a democratic、mm. system. Interests are represented by different parties. The same happens in an authoritarian system, but there's only just、mm. one party, so all the interests gather in this single party.、Mm. And before there comes a decision up, there is struggling, so they they fighting for their interests, and that slows down the process of reforming immensely. And if you see what what、uh, happens with the well, as you said, we're talking about reform like for decades in China, reforms on the SOE、uh, SOEs, and when you when you hear people from the industries still complaining about the inefficiency of these SOEs,、mm. about their bad crisis management. About their monopolies they built up, and you see that the state is actually very helpless to fight that. Sometimes、mm. they they merge two companies, then the other day they break them up again because actually they don't have an idea what is the best way to do it because they have to serve all their interests. Yeah, they serve the interest groups within the party. Exactly,、yeah. and that slows down the process of actually reform. What we see now when we talk of re- when China talks about when the Chinese government talk about reform. This is reform that doesn't hurt anyone. It's always reform that is the, this is the the, the lowest level of <laughs> of agreement.、Mm-hmm. Let's say the reform that doesn't hurt any interest. That doesn't hurt any interest group exactly.、Uh, interest group in the on the top because common people in China they don't consist as an interest group at all because they have no bargaining power. Right, and and the decision making in democracies. Yeah, it takes longer. This is this is for sure. But the output in the democracies is the result of the gathering of the civil input.、Yeah. It's based on the democratic generation of experiences, of wisdom, of knowledge of common people. Yeah. This one, on the contrary, in China, is totally cut out. It's blocked.、Mm. The party is not interested in the experiences of its people, of common people. It's not interested in its wisdom, and it's not interested in its knowledge. Because if they would、hmm. be interested, they wouldn't censor all these public discussions going on on that. So they come up with a top-down decision making, and this actually flaws the whole structure and the whole system because it's not filled up.、Hmm. It's quicker, yes, but it's not、hmm. filled up with the real-life experience from from common people. Yeah. 
take the case of、uh, reform of state-owned enterprises further, because I have relatives who are in northeast part of China, where the biggest state-owned enterprises gather in the past. I have a vivid case here. When I see how the reform was pushed in the 1990s to accelerate the reform of these very clumsy, basically all the time losing money sort of state-owned enterprises because of the bureaucracy, because they don't respect market rules, the management they were kind of restricted there. They could be excellent people managing the SOE. But because of the political struggle behind the scene, their hands are bounded. They cannot really do what the market demands. So the SOE keep on losing money. The loss becomes so big that the government has to put it into a more efficient structure. And the first thing they do is to lay off, of course, these workers. That have no skill of surviving in the market economy because they've been told that they can fully rely on the government, trust the government, follow the government, and you don't need to worry about anything else. And then suddenly they are pushed into the market. Among them are some of my relatives who had to immediately train themselves into impossible skills in the middle age. That was in the 1990s and caused social unrest. But they somehow these people managed to survive. But Dongbei, the northeast part of China, still remained rather incompetent because the state power is everywhere in the market. For example, to get a, a shop, you want to rent a shop in the best place in, let's say, Harbin. You would have to pay quite some bribery. To the local officials, because otherwise you wouldn't get the best place in town. It's not market rules; it's still dominated by the government. The experience by your relatives、mm. was that also part of your kind of development to start second guessing the efficiency of an of of your of your government. Because I mean, you've been raised. Oh in... no, no, no! I mean, it starts much earlier. How how、Come、how is that possible? How is、uh, that possible? I mean, when you grow up in a in a country with an authoritarian rule, when you start going to the mm. kindergarten. Mm. You go to school later. You go to university.、Mm. Everything around you is telling you that it is efficient. It is the best government you can ever、mm. you can ever ask for. Last time you told me also about the fear that was still families surrounding even after the Cultural Revolution. So they took that in modern times. So it's still there.、Mm. So in that environment, how could you start to second guess? What was your development? How did it happen to you? Again, I mean, people in my generation that were born in the 1970s are the lucky ones. We grew up in the 1980s, which、uh, is a, was a time when all the the freest debate could you could imagine was going on in public, even in on official media, about democratization to reflect upon the shortcomings of Chinese tradition. There are quite some of these anti-intellectual tradition, as well as anti-free thinking culture in China, as well as communism, censorship, that sort of thing. At that time, 1980s was a time when we really could have some debate on these aspects. So I grew up also getting the influence of this public debate. With, with whom did you debate? Even, But not with your parents, or did you start? I didn't. No, I read. I read about them on media, even on. Chinese Youth League magazine, 
So it's it's really amazing that how in the 1980s that kind of free debates could go on on public media. Also on CCTV, they played uh, 和尚, the farewell song to Yellow River's culture, which was later banned by Chinese government that reflect upon the so-called yellow culture, which is the Yellow River. It's as the center of a region of Chinese ancient culture and the blue ocean culture of the West. Of course, it was rather naive, amateurish when it comes to historic and archaeology studies. But they compare this inward, close mentality of the yellow culture to the open and free culture from the West, which is impossible nowadays. But on the other hand, of course, you also have the very primitive, childish anger towards the unjust that happened to yourself in the school. For example, you see how your classmate, who is the daughter of the director of a factory, I study in a factory school, which is, you know, at that time, communist style. One factory would have 10,000 workers and their family and everybody stay in this compound with schools and hospital of its own. It's like a small universe. And there you can perfectly see the remnant of the communism structure when you see that the management of these state-owned enterprises, they have more money, better clothes to wear, more um, fashionable, and they could fly. At that time, it's quite some privilege. Not only that, your classmates of these factory management have better material gains, but also they gain more favor from the teachers because the teacher always want to cozy up to the management, praising their children and giving them green light for other things to do. I mean, although I have to say those were rare moments, generally speaking, there was still certain equality there among other people. But the people on the top, they are really like kings. Then I later read Masa Gessen, the Russian journalist criticizing Putin all the time and later went to, into exile in New York City. She wrote about how the communism system in former Soviet Union first erased the old elite from the Tsar's time and replaced them with a new hierarchy system. And on top is the communist elite, the generals and the national leaders. Below that are the technocrats, like these scientists who work for the nuclear technology development. And bureaucrats, for example. uh, And bureaucrats. And then it is the worker. And then the peasants. A worker above peasants is strictly to the ideology of Marxism at that time, because workers are the more progressive class than the backwards-thinking peasants. On the bottom are these anti-revolutionaries, mostly intellectuals and their, their families. And that was uh, still a bit like that case in early 1980s, but it was already changed in 1980s. It, it, the whole system was stirred up. Staying on the top are still the political elite, but underneath the rising class of businessmen and also teachers in the university and in the schools were moving back to the center of the society because education was recognized to be important. You see that the rising class, an important force, which is the businessmen, they have to still 
cozy up to the power on the top. Otherwise, they would never get any business, and they are always in a dangerous position. Whenever the government, local government official, for example, if I'm the mayor, and you, as a businessman, is getting doing your business so well that you are gaining a lot of profit. You have to pay me tribute, pay me briberies. Otherwise, even if you show that you you are not interested in me, I'm not gonna let your business go as usual. I'm gonna make it difficult for you. And if you dare to defy me, I can just kill you. Because in the 1980s, doing business was still semi-illegal in many ways. The government deliberately made it semi-illegal, allow you to do business. But always use the law against you.、Uh, in the nineties, gradually and particularly when China entered the twenty-first century, there were more the better legal system for business, and so the the extortion or rent-seeking of government officials had become more hidden. But still, if you think about businessmen like Jack Ma. Or, Alibaba, yeah, of Alibaba or Robin Lee from Baidu. dot com, they are the master of playing the political games, because otherwise they their fortune, I mean, their whole enterprises could just be erased over time because they are private companies, and we have seen lots of、uh, entrepreneurs persecuted, went to jail, even executed because they did not play their political game well. When we transfer all this to the current situation, fighting the coronavirus, when we talk about efficiency,、mm. and we see the figures from China,、um, a lot of people turn a blind eye to what the background of that efficiency is, or where that efficiency comes from.、Um, for example, China just started to、uh, count the symptom-free carriers. Of the coronavirus, to the number of infected,、<laughs> yeah. uh, I think starting、yeah. from April first, which actually means okay, the numbers we've been giving you before are not <laughs> accurate. This is actually what it says, right? Because we we turned、yeah. a blind eye to、uh, to but others. But they would never say that. They, they, but you know, they wouldn't say. But I mean, <laughs> one plus one is、yeah. two. So this is a very good indicator of how efficiency is produced in 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 such a system. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean there is you... another thing. There is another factor. One is to fake, fake the data, which is like the Chinese government is very good at that now. Everybody knows now around the world. I have a, some acquaintance in a big city's government who was working for the statistics department. He was ordered by his boss to doctor to to modify the data every time when they like, for example, how much the GDP growth is. It's a science within the system.、But、what matters is how do you manipulate the data. For example, this year the GDP growth has to be nine percent. So in this city, maybe we grow nine point one percent or something like that. This is one thing. The other thing is by doctoring the data, you can only go so far. You can't fake everything. So they still have to do some real things. When they do that, it, sometimes if you are lucky with some local official, like in Zhejiang Province or Shanghai, they have a long tradition of business and they're really good at it. Then it's they do it really well. But then in many other places, the local officials are mostly good at political games rather than markets, and many of them do brutal things at human cost. 
to achieve well, the yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we saw that now in in the in the crisis. I mean, exactly. if efficiency uh, now reflected on the corona handling, if efficiency means. Uh, that we lock up people in their apartment by welding their doors or blocking their doors <laughs> yeah. of their apartments or their compound yeah. to make the statistics efficient or, well, to hinder the virus from a further outbreak. If this is what efficiency means, mm. I would rather guess that most of the people in the democratic countries and even in China um, <laughs> could uh, really omit this kind of efficiency. They prefer, they definitely prefer transparency and uh, information system that supplies you enough information about about uh, precautionsness about uh, about the situation in the country and about yeah. the 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 general atmosphere yeah. and everything but if all this is hidden and efficiency comes by this as you say this these brutal yeah. human costs yeah. it's not an efficiency we really want to swap with our democratic efficiency exactly. even if it's much slower than that exactly i mean think about that uh, as a journalist or someone who worked in the media for two decades now it's really amazing how from afar if you are foreigner if you are westerners you can conveniently ignore the silence sacrifice of the people in China contributing to the so-called economic miracle, just like we nowadays appreciate the grandiose pyramid and great walls, oh, how wonderful that civilization was, and ignore the lives sacrificed by the slaves in, in many ways. I, mean, I know it's a bit extreme, but sometimes it's not really guaranteed. <laughs> Maybe there are. Mm. For example, in China, if you were me, working for two decades in the news media, you would suffer immense trauma, really. Many of my colleagues, they have this political depression for decades without knowing, because you don't even have the vocabulary to describe this sort of political depression, repeatedly seeing mm. human lives being trampled, And, and human families being broken up or people who seek justice being dismissed like rubbish or persecuted, losing their voices repeatedly for decades. If local government, for example, want to achieve the GDP growth significantly contributed to the real estate development in China and the development of the real estate in China is like a civil war. If you measure how much conflict, protest, riots, legal suits, even killing, murder has been committed in China in the past decades. Mm. Yeah, there you go. I mean, uh, the efficiency or the the miracle of the mere, when you see the mere economic growth of China within the last decades, yeah. it, 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 it appears to be a miracle. And uh, But the price or the efficiency that has promoted this kind of growth, if you, if you translate that into the human suffering, when you see how people are treated in Wuhan, how they are locked up not to get on the street, this is the kind of efficiency. Now you can say, well, now, come on, it's a, it's a virus and it's different. And if you want to say so, right, you can find arguments to say, no, this is a very sp special situation. Um, I think it's a very good example that represents the general handling if you get into the way yeah. of this kind of efficiency production you're going to be put apart um, yeah. well bad luck for you this is how efficiency is produced in uh, in in authoritarian systems right <laughs> if we go into concrete instead of abstract analysis I want to have two cases compared in China and in Germany in the middle of the plague. 
One is a Hubei person, the epicenter in China, and one to other city. You would have a tough time to find a hotel to live in China because, first of all, government does not guarantee your legal right to live anywhere. People can just reject you, and in the beginning, nobody is responsible for you. That resulted in many Hubeinese middle class being kicked out one after another, like. There was this Hubei family with kids in Hainan Province being kicked out five times in a day by different hotels simply because they come from Hubei. And you can say, okay, this is business behavior because the hotel are scared, but this is also the kind of business organization's behavior under an authoritarian government that does not protect the basic rights of of people. Everyone has to care for their for themselves in time of crisis, so they have no trust to anyone else. And that sort of behavior is much more common in China than in, for example, Europe. Because in Germany, you have a very good protective system for people, even like mentally disordered people. If the family decide to send one family member to the mental hospital, they have to get the permission from the hospital as well as a judge. Because otherwise, if a family connive with the hospital and say, "Okay, I'm really sick of my partner. I want to send him or her into a mental hospital," they could easily do that. So they need to balance, check and balance between. Legal system as well as the medical system to make sure that this person is really mentally disabled and really needs to be sent to the hospital and basically in a prison, right? Another kind of prison, but also with care. Recently, the mentally disordered patient developed a symptom of COVID nineteen suspected symptom, and the judge still have to go there in this time to assess. The mental stability of this person to make sure that the doctor's prescription that he has to go to hospital is sound. So the judge still have to risk his life by talking to this patient in the time of a pandemic to guarantee the right of a mentally disordered person. While in China, no judge would do that. I mean, they they don't do it even in normal times. The legal law enforcement system, organized from all branches of the government, could simply send anyone to a quarantine center with thousands, hundreds, or dozens of other suspected cases without proper procedure.、Mm-hmm. Here it comes down to the responsibility. Every every single organ of a democratic state has to to fulfill,、uh, and also we as citizens of these. Democratic states, we have to fulfill.、Mm. On the one hand, the state has to keep up his normal orders, even if he puts his his, his employees into a certain danger, because、yeah. this is what the legal system system expects、yeah. us to do. We cannot just avoid the legal system or detour the legal system because we're feeling uncomfortable with the situation. They have to do it. On the other hand, I expect. Us as citizens in in democratic states, it's our responsibility to prove that the democracy is the better choice for all of us, and that only goes along with everybody's individual responsibility to live up to the things we we have to do. For example,、mm-hmm. follow the recommendations, but not do that uncritically. Um, but still follow the re-、yeah. uh, the the recommendations to not 
to not put others into danger, right? So this is our this is now our responsibility. We have to yeah. we are part of the process if we go to a deeper lockdown mm. or not. If we prove that we are capable and grown up enough to go with the recommendations, no one needs to lock us down or the country down for another two months. We could yeah, find it, ways to get out of it, that if we are responsible. This is what we have to do now as as uh, citizens. I'm I'm not sure if if people really mm. are if everybody is is already willing or aware of that i really hope that i see that a majority is but it's the first time for a lot of people mm. that this kind of you know democracy is at stake age actually yeah. right they're going very deep into our into yeah. our into our constitution now article 8 uh, freedom of assembly suddenly mm. the state says uh, the, the state says uh, no you don't have freedom of assembly anymore so we are in a situation where we are really on a fine line mm. between our rights and the necessities to to fight a crisis and not to give away too much of our civil rights we've been think, fighting for so long. I think, I mean, sometimes people, people would have this lineal thinking. Lineal thinking means if A happened, then A times A must happen. It's not necessarily the case, particularly in a system when you can bargain. I think I boil it down. I boil democracy down to bargaining process and, and possibilities. So different groups in the society, even common people, can form their own bargaining groups and then bargain with the, between each other. The government has to allow all these sort of uh, interest groups, including common people, to have their voice heard or have their representative in the government. And then, you know, I can argue, for example, I am a small village and I don't need... Uh, to quarantine so many people, like let them stay at home, they can still go on as regular because we only have 500 people in the village. And then compared to a city like Berlin, 3.5 million, it's a different story. And so, it it's, is. yeah, so, so in Germany, you already have such a system when local health ministry, a health bureau have their own autonomy, which is much better than in China when a top-down decision from Zhongnanhai, Beijing, and reach all the way down to the last cell of the society, which is in the village. And so brutal, <laughs> uh, brutal enforcement <laughs> immediately from top to down, disregarding the reality. Still there, the acting needs to be according to our constitution, right? This, yeah. is, this is the big challenge we have here now. And I think mm. that we as a citizens can, citizen can support that we sustain our constitution by taking our responsibility. Yeah. You know, coming back to Hungary, I sent a message to a Hungarian friend uh -huh. uh, who doesn't live in Hungary, but in Spain. And yeah. I sent him a message last night and I asked him, what is Orban doing? Mm. And his answer was, I don't know what. Hmm. And that astonished me in the first place. So I said, okay, well, the emergency act, I said, it's another step towards an authoritarian system. Yeah, sure. And his, in his answer, let me quote this, he said, yeah. Orban doesn't want to go to dictatorship with this move. He simply wants to win the next election with this move. If we like it or not, with this act, he's going in this direction. Even hmm. his opponents agree with this move. Hmm. And I, you know, I think this... This is kind of the, the real threat we are facing right now. Yeah. When we are not aware of the things governments do, we still need to second guess what is happening. I'm, from my uh, point of view, 
the German government, uh, at least right now, does does a proper job in, in balancing it out. But we yeah. really have to second guess how far can we go with a lockdown because we are really scratching on our constitution and, and we really have to take care that we keep that always in mind because what happens now is we are creating a, a, a precedent, hmm. right? Hmm. Now it's the first time uh, that we that we could, you know, forbid this kind of uh, freedom of assembly. Hmm. Um, it worked one time. So next time someone decides, oh, we can do it again. Yeah. And, you know, so very slowly, step by step, some of our civil rights we've been fighting for so long have just been taken or could be taken away from us. I'm not saying it happens right now in Germany, but... Yeah. But it could uh, be abused. We are, uh, of course. And I mean, we're, we're walking very slowly into that direction. So I hope that this crisis now also raises the awareness of people. And I think it, it happens. It happens also in the media that second guessing is very strong right now of what's happening. That we as a society really start to work on crisis management as a society. So put in our mm. our meaning, our our opinions, put in our... Uh, our demands towards the government and not just sitting on, on our couch and say, oh, the government, uh, they just anyway do what they want. No, we really have to, you know, we have to live up to our responsibility now. I just can repeat myself, but this is what's really important right now. Otherwise, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we're facing big challenges to, to fight off authoritarian inclinations uh, here and anywhere else in the world. Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> I don't want to repeat China experience here. On my side, of course, uh, we uh, this this careful balance is a new thing for people. I observe in Europe, probably for the ever since ever since the end of Second World War, we haven't seen such a thing. So, of course, we are short of experience here. People are doing well by really keeping their alertness against any possible abuse of government power in a time of pandemic. On the other hand, because of this, I have a full trust on the West, the European democracies, particularly the people here, that gradually as the pandemic develops and we, we get to know more about how the virus behaves, how human behaves in time of crisis like this, uh, which is like once in a hundred years, We probably will get a sense in a few months, probably just in June or July. I think we will already know much better what is allowed, what is, should be done, and what is completely, absolutely not possible, not acceptable from the government. In this stage, it's good to keep alert. And then on the other hand, I think the collection or collecting scientific knowledge and social behavior observation is very important for the next stage of democratic negotiation. Well, then, yes, uh, to finish this episode today, um, let me tell you that I really appreciate that you as someone born and raised and educated in a dictatorship uh, to see you at the forefront of fighting for people's freedom. I really do appreciate that. And uh, I wish that more people with a democratic background had the same energy and the same power to fight for, for our rights uh, than you have. No, I take it as my responsibility. After all, I'm a German citizen now. Well, I, well, anyway, but uh, uh, to change your yeah. mindset and, and to, to raise your voice is a very, very valuable and uh, priceless priceless impact you make on the society 
So I see it as my pleasure. Okay, thank that's you. That's good. Yeah. Okay, then it was fun again, yeah. and okay. uh, we keep going to yeah. uh, become the dinosaurs in the industry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See you next week, Liwen. Bye bye. Yeah. See you next week. with chopsticks the truth about dictatorships a podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chanel